0: Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, April 27th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini.
1: And I'm Broadway World's Julie Musback.
0: Julie, I I know, as I told you before we started, I'm getting pulled in a couple different directions. I feel uh, like Wednesday Addams in the Addams Family (laughs) musical. I'm getting pulled in other places because as we are recording, I'm also trying to keep an eye on the NFL draft. I just published an article because Ohio State's Denzel Ward went fourth overall to the Cleveland Browns. So uh, I'm going both directions right now. So I'm a little frazzled. So I apologize if I'm even more unkempt and confused than normal.
1: Well, half of that means nothing to me. So maybe I won't even notice.
0: Okay, good. Good to know. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. All right. So, uh, Julia, let's dive. Let's dive into the news. What do we got today?
1: Okay, so let's start with the critics weighing in on the Iceman Cometh Broadway revival.
0: Yes, last night at the Bernard B. Jacobs Theater, Eugene O'Neill's, uh, really probably the one of the shows that's considered his masterpiece is the Iceman Cometh, opened starring Tony winner and two-time Academy Award winner denzel washington the show is directed by five-time tony winner george c wolf and stars a fantastic company including david morse tammy blanchard reg rogers tony winner frank wood and more julie these these reviews are interesting we've had a couple of these this year where they were completely different where some people liked it and some people didn't these are even further apart than that. Some people loved it, and some people hated it. So let's get into that. First up from the paper of record, Ben Brantley made The Iceman Cometh, a New York Times critic's pick, writing, quote, If you have a good time at a production of The Iceman Cometh, does that mean the show hasn't done its job? I was beaming like a tickled two-year-old during much of George C. Wolf's revival of of Eugene O'Neill's Bohemoth barroom tragedy, which opened on Thursday night at the Bernard B. Jacobs Theater, with Denzel Washington more than earning his salary as its commanding star. On the other side, my favorite critic, our favorite, I think she's your favorite critic too, Julie, Sarah Holdren from Vulture said, quote, The revival of Eugene O'Neill's Iceman Cometh is the kind of production that puts prospective audience members off classics for good. Whether you're a card carrying member of the O'Neill Society or you simply flipped a coin at the TKTS booth, you'd be within your rights to run screaming from the theater by the first of the show's two intermissions. If, however, you decided to stick around for the whole moribund, infuriating ride. You might find yourself wondering why this play is considered a classic at all. How it's earned a place on a shelf so high that these days we can't get to it without sending up little hot air balloons of reverence. You might be angry not only at the clumsy production, but blasphemy, O'Neill's play itself. She is not pulling any punches there, Jules. Um, <laughs> but then... We go back to the other side. Joe Dominowitz of the Daily News says, quote, Let's get straight to the burning question about Broadway's The Iceman Cometh, Eugene O'Neill's 1946 booze-soaked saga of curdled lives and dashed dreams. Does marquee attraction Denzel Washington delivereth the goods? You bet, and then some. Then on the other side again, <laughs> we get Alexis Soloski writing for The Guardian. She said, quote, The last Iceman Cometh to arrive in New York, Robert Falls's, was a melancholy symphony with each voice rising and combining to constitute the play's comfortless music. That's not present in Wolf's production, a series of solos, many of them from the horn section. Cuts have been made to the play, it runs nearly four hours, an hour less than other productions, and maybe this has harmed the cohesion, the lived-inness. One experiences less a world and more a room full of actors, mostly good ones, each waiting for a chance to monologue. Then again, we have Time Out New York's Adam Feldman, who gave the show four to five stars. A.M. New York's Matt Winman, who gave it three out of four stars. Um, Barbara Schuler, writing for Newsday, liked it. Allison Adato from Entertainment Weekly really liked it. It just seems like there's a lot of people on both ends of the spectrum here. So, Julie, I it looks like this one really just depends on the individual viewing it uh, as the reviews were quite disparate.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I love Sarah Holdren. She can be so scathing in such an intelligent way and have just that genuine opinion. I feel like she's the one I'd most likely agree with, but good for her for taking that on.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very interesting to see how far apart some of these are similar to how, you know, we heard some of these reviews about carousel, another classic that endured some cuts. Um, I'm going to see this at the end of June. So I'm really looking forward to that and making an opinion on my own, but you know, to each his or her own. And clearly we got a little bit of both uh, from this one.
1: Okay. So this is kind of fun. Yesterday's drama desk awards were announced the nominations And they do not make the Tony's picture much clearer, do they?
0: (laughs) No. these another thing that just makes things muddy. We can't get a straight answer on anything this season. Um, Lots of weird, head-scratching nominations, but... In an effort towards full disclosure, I do want to say that our own Peter Felicia is one of eight Desk nominators. And, of course, James is a voter, so we want to get that out of the way first. But Broadway favorites and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt co-stars Titus Burgess and Tony winner Jane Krakowski announced the nominations yesterday. Of course, Michael Urie will host the Desk Awards on June 3rd. But getting into these, Julie, I'm going to run through a lot of these because I, I want to talk about as many of them as we can.
1: They are very strange. They're, yeah, we should talk about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, let me let me actually talk about them first, then we can get to them. Anyway, um, outstanding play category admissions. Mary Jane Miles for Mary. People, places, and things. Schoolgirls or the African Mean Girls play. Not a single Broadway play in that category. Similarly, in the Outstanding Musical category, of course, the band's visit is not eligible because it was in last year's nominations. Uh, we had Desperate Measures, K-Pop, Mean Girls, Old Stock, A Refugee Love Story, which I honestly have never heard of before today, and SpongeBob SquarePants, Outstanding Revival of a Play, Angels in America, Hendley Wakes, In the Blood, Three Tall Women, Travesties, Outstanding Revival of a Musical, Amorike, The Golden Land. Carousel, My Fair Lady, Once on This Island, Pacific Overtures, Outstanding Actor in a Play, Johnny Flynn, Andrew Garfield, Tom Hollander, James McCardle, and Paul Sparks, Outstanding Actress in a Play, Carrie Coon, Denise Guff, Glenda Jackson, Laurie Metcalf, Billy Piper, Outstanding Actor in a Musical, Jelani Aladdin, Harry Hayden Patton, Joshua Henry, Evan Ruggiero, and Ethan Slater. Outstanding actress in a musical, Giselle Jimenez, LaShans, Jesse Mueller, Ashley Park, Daphne Rubin-Vega. Outstanding featured actor in a play, Anthony Boyle, Ben Edelman, Brian Tyree Henry, Nathan Lane, David Morse, Greg Mazgala. Outstanding featured actress in a play, Jocelyn Bio, Jamie Brewer, Barbara Martin, Deirdre O'Connell, Constance Schulman. Featured actor in a musical, Damon Duano, Alexander Gemignani, Gray Henson, Gavin Lee, and Tony Yazbek. And then Outstanding Featured Actress in a Musical, Lindsay Mendez, Canetta R. Miller, Ashley Park, again, Diana Rigg, which is insane for that part, but whatever, uh, and Kate Rockwell. And then Outstanding Director in a Play, Marion Elliott, Jeremy Herron, Joe Mantello, Lila Neugebauer, Simon Stone, and John Tiffany, and then Director for a Musical, Christian Berry, Teddy Bergman, Jack O'Brien, what, uh, Tina Landau, and Bart Shear. So, Julie, what we t- these are head scratchers. These are weird. What stands out to you about being the the most eye opening, either in a positive way or not so positive way?
1: I think it's really fascinating how little Broadway shows were included this year. It feels like it is almost the majority is off Broadway.
0: One thing I I, I did want to mention here that. Um, Carousel led the nominations with 12. SpongeBob had 11. Mean Girls had 10. Harry Potter had eight. Then we had Angels in America, K-pop, Once on this Island, People, Places, and Things, and Three Tall Women, all with seven. That is very much dominated at the top with Broadway shows. But after that, you're right. A lot of these other shows that have multiple nominations are off-Broadway. Granted, there's a lot more off-Broadway shows than Broadway shows. But you're right. Other than this top heaviness, a lot of the stuff is off-Broadway.
1: There's also, you know, the names you would expect to see. Some of them are missing. I mean, I don't see is Denzel Washington nominated.
0: No, I don't know that Iceman got a single nomination.
1: Well, David Morse was nominated. Oh, okay, you know, you're right. You're right. Future actor. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So yeah, it's just a weird collection of people in weird categories.
0: Yeah. So I'm interested. One of the things that's super interesting to me is how the Tonys will determine who is a lead and who is featured from Mean Girls, because in this we had Kate Rockwell and Ashley Park. However, in other awards nominations and even in some of the conversations for Tonys, we're talking about uh, Taylor Louderman and Barrett Wilbert Weed getting nominations for featured. Taylor could maybe be placed in the lead category as opposed to featured. I'm not sure, but... It's it's really interesting when you have four different women who could potentially be featured in your show, they are splitting the nominations. That's something that's really interesting to me about how they do this. But um, Lots of weird stuff in here. Another interesting thing here that I think you'll like here, uh, in the Outstanding Lyrics category, four of the six nominees, because there's four shows and two of them have two uh, writers, are women. You have Nell Benjamin for Mean Girls, Kiara Alighara Hoodies, uh, Aaron McCohen for Miss You Like Hell, then Peter Kellogg did Desperate Measures, then Hell Alan Park and Max Vernon wrote K-pop. So um, it's nice to see that, even if it's, you know, not represented in some of the other categories.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: All right. So what else? Let's move on here, Julie.
1: All right. So you have in the script a whole section devoted to Laura Benanti. What's she up to?
0: Well... This is how it should be. We yeah. often, for a long time, we had Hamill sections every day. Occasionally, we'll have Scott Rudin sections. But as far as I'm concerned, any day with a healthy dose of Laura Benanti is a good day. So that means that today is a great day. First up, in a very fun twist, yesterday it was announced that Jason Jones, Benanti's co-star on the TV show The Detour, has had to exit his co-hosting responsibilities for the upcoming Lucille Lortel Awards, and that he'll be replaced by Benanti's co-star from Meteor Shower, Jeremy Shamos, who, of course, if you remember, was a late replacement of Alan Tudyk after Meteor Shower rehearsals begin. So I guess basically anytime Laura Benanti needs someone to jump in at the last minute, They're calling Jeremy Shamos. Uh, (laughs) Shamos and Benanti will host the ceremony a week from this coming Sunday. In other Benanti hosting news, yesterday she announced via Twitter that she would be emceeing the 10th Annual National High School Musical Theater Awards, also known as the Jimmies, which will be held at Broadway's Minskoff Theater on June 25th. At 7:30 p.m. That's one day before my birthday, so uh, keep that in mind. And finally, in our little Benanti section here, it was announced that on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, Laura will do some cooking with Clinton Kelly uh, on ABC's daytime show, The Chew. Also on the episode, co-host Michael Simon, who just so happens to be a huge Ohio State fan and Ohio native, he will be cooking up some Broadway-inspired intermission snacks. Now, Julie, I would be up for making. Uh, the Benanti section, a permanent fixture on the show every day. Are you are you good with that? Um, Ooh, I mean, oh, it's ah.
1: <laughs> how about her funny tweets? You could feature one of her funny tweets every day.
0: Yeah, she doesn't tweet as much as she used to. She's got a kid now with, and pink eye and stuff, but I, I don't follow you know... her. Oh man, you're breaking <laughs> my heart here. I I, I love me some Bonanti, So, oh well. Um, I, I'll see if I can sneak in more bonanti stuff uh, as much as humanly possible.
1: You do you. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what do we have in the recommendation section?
0: Oh, man. OK, Julie, I think, you know, this listeners probably do. I don't do awkward. I don't like awkward uh, shows. I don't like awkward movies. I don't like awkward situations in real life. Uh, that's why I try to participate in small talk as little as humanly possible. But yesterday, the L.A. Times uh, theater critic and reporter Peter Marks published an article with the headline, My Disastrous Tea with Glenda Jackson. Uh, Peter Marks writes about how he's been a fan of Glenda Jackson since he was a teenager and he watched uh, a touch of class on TV with his mother and how he's kind of looked up to her for years ever since. And when he finally got a chance to interview her, he wanted to give her a very straightforward interview, talk about her coming back to theater after being a member of the parliament over in the UK. Uh, Just kind of wanted to give a very simple, straightforward interview. Miss Jackson was not having any of that. She was very uh, standoffish and very combative through the whole thing, which is absolutely her right. She's an 81-year-old dame. She can do her. Uh, but it, oh, man, so awkward. Uh, I was very nervous reading, like, the first half, and then I had to stop. But if you like this stuff, we'll have a link in the show notes. Um, <laughs> but then the other thing that I want to recommend is a recommendation. It was a Broadway World exclusive, so, of course, going kind to of pat ourselves on the back here. This is one of the new releases from Lena Hall's Obsessed series in which she sings the iconic song Linger from the Cranberries. Julie, this was a very um, kind of one of a different interpretation. Some of the songs that Lena releases are much more in line with the originals. Some are not. This one had a much more chill vibe than I'm used to from that original version.
1: Yeah, I thought it sounded great, though. I It was, yeah, dialed back. It felt real and she sang it beautifully. I really liked it.
0: Big fan of that one. So if you haven't heard that one, check it out in the show notes or buy it on wherever you can buy stuff, lenahallobsessed.com.
1: <laughs> okay, so what else do we need to cover today?
0: Alrighty, and some other news that didn't make it into the original part of the show, but we wanted to make sure that you were aware of. Now, this one's a little suspect, Julie, so give me a little bit of leeway, but it is at the nexus of my Venn diagram. So I'm going to talk about it anyway. Yesterday, Star Fury Conventions in Blackpool, England. I'm getting there. Give me give me some leeway on Twitter. They announced that Supergirl Melissa Benoist has had to cancel her upcoming appearance at their convention from May 11th through the 13th because she has begun rehearsals for her Broadway debut in the musical Beautiful. We've tried to reach out to get confirmation. We have not heard anything back from Beautiful, but the convention has since deleted the tweet and then reposted it, still saying that she had to withdraw because she's making her Broadway debut, but didn't mention the show. But uh, personally, I think this is a great way for the former Glee star to make her Broadway debut. It's perfect. It's a show that she can do in a limited run, much like Kat McPhee is doing in between her television hiatus. Of course, if and when this is confirmed, we will obviously let you know. Next, yesterday, we also learned that the world premiere of Pamela's first musical will open the season at Two River Theater in New Jersey. The show features a book by Wendy Wasserstein and Christopher Durang, music by the late Cy Coleman, and lyrics by his frequent collaborator David Zippel. Ten-time Tony nominee Graciela Danielle directs and choreographs. And finally, on Thursday, CBS announced that Adina Menzel will be one of the first participants in the new garish-looking spinoff series, Undercover Boss Celebrity Edition. Three-time gold medalist Gabby Douglas will appear on the premiere on May 11th. Menzel will follow on the 18th, followed by YouTuber Bethany Moda and Football Hall of Famer Neon Dion Sanders. Now, Julie, have you seen these Undercover Boss pictures of, of Adina?
1: I just looked them up. They're hysterical.
0: <laughs> they are A, awful, yeah. Uh, b anybody who uh, supposedly works for menzel will be able to tell it's her nine bazillion miles away yeah and i have problems with undercover boss just in general um but this just seems like quite possibly the worst idea in the history of ideas
1: <laughs> i don't understand what the idea is is I don't know how the show works, to be honest. I it's don't know. It just...
0: What it is, it started with a CEO of a company going undercover and trying to go inside his company to see how things really work. Then at the end of the episode, the, the CEO does something for the people who've kind of trained him or whatever, and usually gives them money or a scholarship or promotion, blah, 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 blah. It's all nice. Um, there's a really good episode of, uh, pop culture happy hour on NPR about undercover boss and the issues that people have with it, um, as well as shark tank. So if you want to look that up, I love shark tank, so I will not hear anybody dissing that, but I have tons of issues and I agree with a lot of them, uh, that they mentioned on, on pop culture happy hour about, um, whatever this show is called, what's it called? Um, uh, Undercover Boss. Yeah, lots lots of issues with this one.
1: It just, it seems so bizarre, but yeah, i
0: yeah, if I terrible.
1: were to run into her, I would know it was her.
0: Yeah, you can't mistake that jawline. Like, that is so obviously yeah. Adina, but um, what do you think about Melissa Benoist in Beautiful?
1: I think that's really interesting. I think it's a good show for her to make her debut, and I would agree. It's, you know, something that's established. It's something that needs a new star and needs some new blood. And, I don't think the music would be too challenging. I think she'd have a no. fine time doing
0: it. Yeah. And people forget, maybe they know her from Glee, but she also appeared in what I think was the world premiere of the unauthorized uh, autobiography of Samantha Brown at Goodspeed, the uh, um, Kerrigan and Loudermilk show. She was the best friend. Um, so she has. Musical theater chops, um, so I mean she's not just like a TV person who did some auto-tuned singing in in Glee. I think she's really talented. Um, yeah, we've we've talked about the grosses for Beautiful on this show, and I've written about it on Broadway World. They oddly take a summer dip every year and then rebound in the fall. It's been happening like this for three or four years, so it's interesting that they're getting really aggressive about. Uh, you know, trying to get some extra momentum during the summer to carry them into their normally traditionally strong fall because Roundabout has Kiss Me Kate coming in. So mm-hmm. I, if Beautiful's not doing really well, they might try to get them out to be able to put that show in the Steven Sondheim and to keep Studio 54 open for something else with the option of having Kiss Me Kate run for a longer time. But I hope that this actually does take place because I would love to see Supergirl in Beautiful.
1: Yeah, I think it's the good choice for her. I wouldn't be offended by that in any way.
0: Which is really all we're worried about, is whether a casting (laughs) decision offends the Julie Musback.
1: (laughs) This is true, right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) All right, if you want more information on any or all of these stories we've discussed, please check out the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com. All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. I think, I'm hoping that I'm going to have my uh, episode of Tell Me More with the interviews from Parkland up tomorrow. It's a tough week, uh, but I'm trying to get that all together in this feed sometime on Saturday. Now, Julie, where can people find you on the interwebs?
1: I am on Twitter and Instagram at Julie Musbeck.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening. Tune in for maybe tell me more tomorrow. Definitely this week on Broadway on Sunday. And then James and I will be back to talk to you on Monday.